Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. Welcome back to the show, guys. I hope you had an awesome weekend. I had a really fun birthday weekend. It's been a crazy week, and it's going to be pretty crazy as I get ready for my technology fast, which is coming up in the middle of April. Just going to keep reminding you so you know when I'm when I'm gone, that's where I am. I'm not ignoring everyone. I'm on a technology break. So before that, I just have to... Uh, prep and get ready, get some things done so everything goes smoothly when I'm MIA for a week. And when there's a lot going on and I'm feeling a little more stressed out and I need to just zen out a little bit more, if I feel like I might not be sleeping as well because I have so much on my mind, I like to increase my dosage of my Ned Full Spectrum Hemp Oil. I truly cannot imagine my life without this stuff. I actually just got off the phone with Rhett and Adrian, the founders. If you haven't already listened to my podcast with them, go ahead and check out episode 145 to learn more about them and Full Spectrum Hemp Oil and the creation of the company. And when I talk about brands and I work with brands and I support brands, you guys know how picky I am about products in general, and I really like to get to know the founders of the companies that I work with because it's one thing to have an amazing product, but it's another thing to have an amazing product and also have a lot of integrity and heart behind the whole organization and what you're doing and what your mission is. And the guys from Ned, Red and Adrian are friends of mine. They're awesome guys and so genuine and just the products they're creating what they're doing for people and the way that they're improving people's health and their lives is just really incredible i'm actually hoping to go visit them soon but we're just kind of catching up and they have some really cool new products in the works so stay tuned for those but i'm so so excited and it's funny because for a long time i just never thought i would be on board with cbd because I know that the sourcing for so many typical CBD products out there is really questionable and I just didn't think anything would ever live up to my high expectations and then I found Ned and trust me when I first talked to Rhett I grilled him I was so skeptical and I was I feel kind of bad I was like going after him about the product and the quality and the sourcing and how everything was made and what was in was in the full spectrum hemp oil and he impressed me and I gave him a hard time at first because I was kind of going into it like I don't buy into it and he proved me wrong. This stuff has changed my life and everybody who I recommend it to just falls in love with it because you can taste and feel the difference. If you've ever used CBD before and you don't even notice a difference, it's probably because it wasn't high enough quality or really wasn't real. Honestly, you could be doing your body a disservice by using a conventional CBD brand. 
because a lot of them have fillers and inflammatory oils and quote flavors in them to mask the bad taste of their low quality CBD. But this is why I love Ned. I take this every single day. I use all their products, but the full spectrum hemp oil, I use every single day in the evening and then sometimes in the morning too if I'm having a stressful day and I just put a dropper's worth under my tongue, hold it there for 10, 20, 30 seconds and then swallow it. There are so many different uses for Ned's full spectrum hemp oil. It can help relieve anxiety, depression. It can also be helpful in the treatment of PTSD. It's also great as a sleep aid. So if you have insomnia, if you have a hard time winding down in the evening and getting to sleep, it can really help with that. It also helps a lot as an anti-inflammatory and a natural pain reliever. I have a lot of clients who struggle with autoimmune disease and deal with a lot of inflammation and this helps a lot with that inflammation. It's a rich source of antioxidants and it's also been used to help in the treatment of a lot of serious chronic conditions like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, epilepsy, and more. Ned is called a full spectrum hemp oil because actually due to FDA regulations only pharmaceutical companies can really use the term CBD. So Ned says what they're made from, full spectrum hemp oil. The problem with a lot of CBD out there on the market is that isolates are really common. Synthetic ingredients are really common. And an isolate is going to be a lab-isolated CBD compound that's in that white powder form, and it's stripped of all of the other phytocannabinoids that really help to complement the cannabidiol. And without those other cannabinoids, there's no entourage effect. And that's really what gives full-spectrum hemp its power is that entourage effect. So Ned's full spectrum hemp oil does contain active cannabinoids in addition to the cannabidiol. So you're getting the CBG, the CBC, the CBDA, the CBGA, and more. The only ingredients are non-GMO MCT oil and the CBD and the full range of phytocannabinoids that are gently extracted from the hemp plant. So they don't need any flavors, any filler, inflammatory oils. I know a lot of the CBD oils out there on the market use sunflower oil, which we don't want. Really, really pure ingredients. And they're only extracting from the hemp flowers, also known as the buds, versus other products usually extract from the stalks and the seeds of the hemp plant. They also use a really gentle and slow ethanol-based extraction method done at room temperature, so no high heat and no high pressure, which can really compromise the profile of the hemp flower, which is why it's so important to know how your products are made. It makes the world of a difference, and their farmer Kurt has been experimenting with hemp plants for over a decade to figure out the exact strains that will maximize cannabinoid density, terpene content, and overall plant integrity, and you can taste and feel the difference. Kurt is honestly a genius. I'm so impressed, and not only that, but they also, during production, energetically infuse all of their products with binaural beats, positive affirmations, and happy vibes, which I'm sure you guys know I totally believe in the difference that makes and listen to our podcast together to learn more about the why behind that. They also have an awesome body butter, which is great if you have any pain or inflammation, and really, really awesome lip balms. I love the peppermint and cardamom flavors the most, but they're infused with hemp, and they leave your lips super moisturized, and lip balm is a common one that people really need to swap out for a safer option, and I absolutely love the Ned lip balm, so definitely check those out. If you have not already tried Ned, what are you waiting for? Go to helloned.com. And use my discount code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, for 15% off. Again, you can go to helloned.com and use my discount code wellness, 
W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off of any products on the website. I recommend starting off with the 300 milligram and then you can increase your dosage depending on how you do with that one. But start small and then work your way up. So obviously I love all my Ned products, but you know what else I've been loving recently is my potato diet experiment. If you follow me on social media, I'm sure you've seen that I've been doing an experiment on the potato diet. My own version of it. Definitely not doing the classic version. Um, More on that to come. But that was partially inspired by this podcast that you're going to hear today with Andrew Taylor. Andrew lives over in Australia and his story went viral when he, in 2016, decided to eat only potatoes for the whole year. A whole year. And why did he do this? He really did this to battle food addiction. And in the process, he overcame some of his mental health issues. He lost a lot of weight and just overall got a lot healthier along the way. And it's really, really interesting to me. I heard about him through Abel James on his podcast. And if you guys know my friend Brianna Diorio, who has been on this podcast before, she always tells me, she goes, you need to do the potato diet. Like she always dares me to do it. And I go, hmm. So I wanted to find somebody who has done it. And Andrew is famous for it. He created his Spud Fit Challenge to help other food addicts deal with their own food psychology issues while also losing any extra weight, getting healthier. He's released a book, the DIY Spud Fit Challenge. He has the Spud Fit Academy community now where he coaches other people through food addiction. And there's really just this whole movement now of people who are using the potato diet, which I think is fascinating because there's also this trend right now of people using carnivore to deal with the same issues. So, I recorded this podcast like far before I decided I was going to do my little experiment. We'll see how long it lasts um, on the potato diet. But I think you guys are going to find this one super interesting. And I cannot wait for you to hear more about Andrew and his story. So without further ado, here is Andrew Taylor from SpudFit. Well, thank you again for agreeing to come on the podcast. I heard about you through Abel James podcast. I'm a huge fan of Abel's. Um, and I was super interested in everything you had to say. And I've heard about the potato diet in the media before, but had never come across somebody who had done it. And you have your your yeah. whole spud fit challenge. So I was super intrigued. Um, and I love learning about sort of like dietary challenges and trials that work for people. So I... Wanna, let's just start off. How about you can just give people a brief introduction to who you are and um, a little bit about you? Yeah, no worries. Uh, thanks for having me, first of all. And, uh, and yeah, I'm a fan of Abel as well. And it was nice talking to him. And, uh, and I'm glad that conversation connected us too. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, my thing is Spud Fit for people that don't know. And that was. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did. Uh, we can get into all the reasons why, I guess, as we go along. But I did a year of eating only potatoes, and uh, and my story went viral worldwide. And uh, uh, I'm not the first person, very far from the first person to eat only potatoes. Uh, you know, entire populations have done it before. But uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm far as I know, I'm the first person to do it for the reasons that I did it. And uh, and yeah, I think yeah, a lot of people have done it now, and. Uh, you know, trying to be modest, but I think most of the reason that the the uh, potato diet sort of stuff is popular in the mainstream or getting towards the mainstream is because of 
the ridiculous exposure that I got a few years ago for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly interesting. Like, let's get into, let's start from the beginning. So tell me a bit about, I mean, how did you even end up trying that? Where did that come from? Yeah, well, like, like most overweight people, I, you know, I was a very experienced dieter and I had done pretty much every diet that you can think of. And and I was very good at uh, doing well on a diet for a little while, losing some weight, and then putting it all back on, plus a bit more. And uh, yeah, it's, a, it's sort of a longish story, but the, the short story is that I, I decided to, you know, I had an, another attempt at losing weight, and I did really well for a month. And at the end of that month, I thought, well, wow, I've done a great job for a month. I deserve a reward. How about a slice of pizza for dinner? I'll just reward myself with a slice of pizza. And um yeah, so I, I ordered, of course, you can't get home-delivered pizza by the slice, so I had to order a whole large pizza. I could, didn't just order a small pizza for some strange reason, but um, yeah, and that, and sure enough, one slice of pizza turned into eating the whole pizza plus ice cream plus, you know, a, a big bottle of Coca-Cola and, you know, a, a massive binge, basically, and I told myself a lot of stories about how I would make up for it the next day by getting up extra early and doing extra training and I'd get back to my healthy eating and all of that. And uh, of course that didn't happen. And um, yeah, I was, I was feeling very, very down on myself, very sorry for myself the next day. And, uh, and I was sitting around in the afternoon just, just lamenting that how, how crap I was at, at um, you know, maintaining a healthy diet and how this this idea of moderation that you hear all the time is you know everything in moderation is the healthiest way to be you, you're just constantly being force fed that idea and um and I was just yeah lamenting the fact that I just couldn't make moderation work I couldn't just eat one slice of pizza or have one chocolate biscuit or anything and it was really getting me down because I just didn't know what I was going to do about this weight problem that I had and uh and I decided at one point to go and get a beer from the fridge. So I did that, got a beer. And as I sat down on the couch and cracked open that beer, I was just hit by this sudden realization that the way I've been treating food my whole life is the way that an alcoholic treat would treat the beer that was in my hand. And, and that was like a, a lightning bolt moment. And, um, and yeah, so that just took me down a, a process of logical thinking where you know the the common cause the sorry the common treatment the generally accepted way to deal with alcoholism and pretty much any other addiction is to quit entirely you know if you're an alcoholic you should never have a drop of alcohol most people agree on that but when you're a food addict they they say everything in moderation and it's like you know it doesn't make sense so i got thinking about that and uh, and at first it made me more upset because i was like well I wish I was an alcoholic instead because then I could quit, but you can't quit food and I don't know what to do. And then I started wondering about, well, maybe I can quit certain things. Maybe I could quit this and that and whatever else. And eventually I arrived at the point, at the point, well, I wonder if I could quit everything except one food. And then that would be getting as close as possible to using that abstinence model for treating food addiction. If I quit everything except only one food, um, and yeah, so then I, I did a lot of research to see if that was possible and if it was possible, what kind of food would be best for it. And I spent quite a long time, you know, hours every day for a couple of months and, uh, and yeah, I arrived at potatoes as the, uh, as the obvious choice and, 
Yeah, here we are. <laughs> okay, there's a lot to dive in in there. Okay, let's start. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was a long answer. No, but, uh, I, I love I, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I want to get into every part. Let's start back. So yeah. I'm curious what some of the other diets you tried that didn't work for you were. Uh, I've done juice fast. I've done, you know, paleo and um, uh, I've, yeah, I've done, you know, South Beach and Atkins and um, I've done like meal replacement shakes mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, like green smoothie diet, soup diet. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a long list and it's probably a boring list because most people have tried all the same things that I've tried, you know, but yeah, uh, yeah they these are all diets or everything I did was like I was a uh, portion control is a big one that I was always trying to just eat less. So, you know, everything's all about eat less and move more. And whatever I did, it always just included that idea of just eat less. And, and it was just not something I could do for the long term. And, um, and yeah, the, the big difference between every other diet that I tried and, and this, spud fit challenge that i did was that every every other time it was the focus was all about the numbers on the scale and it was about tracking and um tracking calories and tracking whatever other kind of measurements and and uh and this time it was purely about solving my addiction problem and everything else that happened was secondary and, and not important really it was just about working on the addictive side of things and yeah it was really all a, a mindset change was what it was all about yeah, well, a lot of mainstream media now recommends like a low carb, high fat diet or a ketogenic diet to help people who overeat. Um, but it sounds like from your experience, that wasn't helping you with the food addiction. No, and and there's there's good science behind why that uh, in theory wouldn't help anyone. I know, I know there are lots of people that have done that those sorts of diets, and and people have said that it's helped them and that sort of thing, but. Uh, yeah, in, in my research, there was a, a good amount of science that, um, that, yeah, went, went against the idea that, uh, you know, the high fat sort of diet would, uh, alleviate cravings and that sort of thing, because, uh, basically our evolution, um, throughout our evolution, we've been, uh, our bodies and our minds have been optimized towards seeking high calorie foods. Because, yeah, if, if we're living in a time of scarcity and where there's a chance of drought or, you know, freezing over and, you know, having food shortages, then uh, if, we were, if we're going to survive those times, then we need to have a good amount of fat stores. So to, to encourage us to get more fat stores, we, we're set up to seek out high-calorie foods so that when food is available, we'll eat as much of it as possible so that we can build up fat stores to get through the times of scarcity. And, uh, and as a result, part of the mechanism of that is that, um, when we eat high calorie foods, there's dopamine receptors in our brain that, um, trigger, I call it food gasms, um, that, uh, yeah, make you, make you want to seek out those foods more. And so, yeah, high fat foods are high calorie foods and in theory they should trigger dopamine receptors and, and, um, and trigger that sort of addictive response. So, uh, Mm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that kind of leads into maybe you can explain more about how you landed on potatoes because, um, like, I know a lot of people in response to that argument would say, you know, a lot of people say that carbohydrates make you hungrier, you know, that they make you hungry and carbohydrates are addictive. Um, So I think a lot of people in the low carb, high fat camp 
you know, they're saying opposite things. So I think it's really interesting to hear your perspective and like how you landed on potatoes and why that make made sense in terms of your research. Yeah. yeah. So, well, first of all, potatoes are not carbohydrates. They're potatoes and they, they have a, uh, they have a lot of carbohydrates. The, mm-hmm. the, a uh, high percentage of the calories that are from potatoes come from carbohydrates, but they're people often call them carbohydrates, and that's like there's no like meat is not protein. It's protein is a component, but a lot mm-hmm. of people call it protein. A lot of people call potatoes carbohydrates, and I think we should. I think we've got to get away from that because it's just not accurate. Um, but yeah, so one thing that we have to first of all, yes, I agree, carbohydrates are addictive for sure. Um, you know, table sugar, Coca-Cola, whatever, you know, pure carbohydrates, definitely addictive, definitely avoid processed, um, sugars and yeah, things that actually are pure carbohydrates, absolutely avoid. But potatoes are, um, actually a low calorie food. Um, and the, yeah, like I was saying before, where we are, um, optimized to seek high calorie foods and potatoes are not that most of the, the content of a potato is, I think they may, I, I can't remember exactly, it was, a, it was a few years ago now that I did all this research, but I think it was around 70% of a potato is water. Mm. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, fiber content in potato, and, and then you've got carbohydrate, um, a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat, lots of, macro, lots of micronutrients and phytonutrients and all that as well. Um, but yeah, the, the short answer is they're not, they're not like a super uh, carbohydrate-rich source of food. Um, compared to the volume that you have to eat to to get the the amount of energy in, so that's why they don't trigger that addictive response. A lot of people are here would say, "Yeah, I'm addicted to potatoes." Though, and my response to that is that most people who eat potatoes, or pretty much everyone who eats potatoes, would cook them in oil, would serve them with sour cream, cheese, bacon bits, whatever. And these are all very high calorie foods that people would would uh, load up a potato with high calorically dense food and that's what triggers the addictive response and that's what makes you gain weight and you know get poor health and those sorts of things and you know people people eat potatoes with all that stuff piled on top and then blame the potato when it's not really the potato's fault that you know if you just eat a plain potato it's not going to excite your taste buds it's not going to give you a, that food gasm it's not going to uh yeah trigger that dopamine response it's you know, you know everyone loves potatoes but honestly when you eat them on their own they're pretty boring they don't do much for you yeah so okay so you but let's talk more about how you landed on the potato specifically because there are other low calorie vegetables you know that you could have picked so what is it about a potato okay yeah sorry i missed that i forgot that part of the question yeah (laughs) um so the the main part of my research was that i didn't want to be like some sort of uh, groundbreaking guy that's trying this thing that's never been done before. I wanted to try to find something that had been eaten, you know, close enough to on its own by a lot of people that you know, we knew that could sustain people. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but there was a, a number of options that in theory could do what I wanted to do. But potatoes just had the most evidence. Basically, there's, there's uh, the entire population of Ireland for a couple of centuries lived on not only potatoes, but mostly potatoes, up to 95% of their calories was coming from potatoes. Uh, you can look at uh, the, the Papua, New Guinean, Papua New Guinean Highlander tribes to this day eat a diet of pretty much only uh, sweet potatoes. Uh, Okinawans in Japan, 
very, very healthy population, eat close to 95% of their calories from sweet potatoes traditionally. Um, I could go on. There's examples around the world of populations that have lived on almost only potatoes. There's a study of people, a, a marathon running couple from, I think it was Poland from the 1920s, who uh, they were studied for six months eating only potatoes. And at the end of six months, they ran personal best marathons. Uh, and there's also uh, examples of prisoners of war that were fed only potatoes and maintained good health and, and reported by the end of their time in, in prison, they were still enjoying potatoes and all of that. And, you know, we see photos of prisoners of war looking malnourished, and those people are, are mostly people that have fed predominantly rice, which is not as nutritionally – rice is very healthy, but it's not as nutritionally complete as the potato. So people wasted away in prison when they were eating only rice. But, yeah, there are people that in prison that were fed only potatoes and did really well. So all this evidence just built up to show me that it's been done basically millions of times before or close enough to it. So, uh, yeah, it just made sense that that was, that was the obvious choice. Okay. And there's lots of other research I did in, in like theoretical nutritional components and all this sort of stuff as well. But the main thing was just historical evidence of, of success on that sort of diet. Yeah. Okay. And so I know you kind of went into this in terms of how do I break my food addiction, but in, yes. in terms of like nutritionally, your research, like, is it nutritionally like you get everything you need from just potatoes, from just eating potatoes? Like if somebody yeah, well, ate those forever? Yeah, well, the first point is it was never intended to be something I would do forever. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't interested in whether I could live on it forever. I just mm -hmm. wanted to do – well, when I was doing the research, I was debating in my mind about whether I would do it for two months or 100 days. That was the the uh, the idea that I had and, uh, and I, that was, you know – Turns out lots of things can sustain you for that long, but uh, but it ended up being a year, which we can get into the reasons why if you like. But uh, but yeah, the, the nutritionally, um, theoretically, yeah, it should be able to sustain somebody forever as long as you're eating enough. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I get criticised saying that just this morning someone tweeted to me saying there's no way um, potatoes can provide enough nutrition, and they they provided evidence based on eating five potatoes a day. And I was like, well, yeah, if you're only eating five potatoes a day, they're not going to provide enough nutrition. That's not much food, you know. Mm -hmm. I was eating a lot more than that. And if, if, you eat, if you eat enough and if you're not trying – basically, if you're not trying to go hungry, if you're not trying to, um, you know, reduce or control your calories or restrict in any way and you're just eating as much as you feel like, as often as you feel like it, then your body's going to regulate your hunger. Uh, and, you know, if you're not getting enough – of whatever, then your body's going to make you more hungry so that you eat more, so that you get more. And, uh, and yeah, with potatoes, if you're following that way and you're not restricting any way, then, yeah, you should – it makes sense that you should get enough nutrition because that's just – yeah, potatoes have got everything we need as long as you're not going hungry, yeah. Okay. So let's talk more about, like, what you actually did. So maybe you can start talking about, um, you know, how you decided how long you were going to do it for – yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, like I said, originally I thought yeah, two months should be enough because it was all about changing my behavior and changing the way I thought about and related to food. So I figured, you know, addiction was my problem, not weight. I thought you know, weight, my weight was a symptom of my behavior more than anything else. It was not the other way around. So too, too often we focus on 
dealing with the numbers on the scales rather than dealing with the reason why the numbers on the scales get the way they are. And I think for a lot of people, myself included, um, it's a result of addictive behaviors. You know, most people know that they'd be better off eating an apple. Well, pretty much everyone knows that they'd be better off eating an apple than a donut, mm-hmm. but they still choose the donut. So why do they do that? You know, uh, it makes sense to me that for a lot of people, that's an addiction. Um, so I thought two months would be enough to, uh, to deal with my behavior and get new habits and change the way my mind works and all of that. And, and I thought, but I was still thinking, well, maybe a hundred days is a good round number as well. So I was debating between those two and just purely by coincidence, uh, when I had finished all the research I wanted to do and it settled on saying, if I'm going to do something like this, potatoes is the choice. And there was three days until new year's day. Um, so anyone who's done diets before knows that a diet doesn't start until Monday. (laughs) So, (laughs) so for me at that point, it was, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm not going to start until the 1st of January because, you know, it just made sense to me. And so I decided to do that. And then in that three days where I was waiting for the 1st of January, there's no justification for it. But just this idea came to me that, well, if I'm starting on the 1st of January, maybe I should just go for the whole year. And, um, yeah, there's no, I don't have a justification for that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a necessary thing for anyone. It just seemed like an interesting idea. So I decided to give it a go. That's all. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was a really scary thing. Just the two months, doing it for two months was really scary and I didn't think I'd be able to do it. So doing it for a whole year was a whole new level of fear and anxiety. And, you know, I just, I didn't think I had it in me to do that. But um, yeah, in, in the end, yeah, my life was in pretty bad shape and I was clinically depressed and anxious and, um, yeah, I was, I was not happy with how my life is. So in the end, I just thought I'd, I just have to give something a try. I have to do it. And, um, yeah, if it doesn't work, then the worst thing that could happen is I just go back to being fat, depressed Andrew that I already was. So, you know, (laughs) why not give it a try and see if I can change things? I'm curious what you felt like, like the first few days slash week or so like did you go through any type of detox reaction from cutting out other foods or how were you feeling initially yeah uh yeah i I prefer to call it an adjustment period Mm -hmm. but yeah people that sort of thing that people refer to as detox yeah i went through that it was i had headaches and um stomach cramps and digestive issues and all that as i yeah my, my body just wasn't you know, you can't send your body a memo ahead of time saying, hey, get ready, we're going to change things up here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so your body's not ready. It just has to do it as it goes. So my body wasn't ready. And, uh, and I, yeah, I had some pretty bad stomach pains and cramps and uh, headaches and things like that. Um, and probably that all started like the first couple of days were okay. And then really day three, four and five were not much fun at all. Um, that was, yeah, lots of stomach pains and things like that. And, um, and yeah, I, I think it was like day six or day seven, I was just all good. Um, like physically, I was all good and my digestion was fine, no more headaches, everything was good. Um, and, yeah, other than that, the, the main battle for me was psychologically really. Mm-hmm. It was, um, you know, dealing with cravings and, and, uh, and dealing with my – emotional fragility since I didn't have um you know chocolate cake to rely on to help me through a bad time that was mm-hmm. uh that was the hardest bit but but yeah that physically I, I just kept reminding myself that 
you know, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable and I was not feeling great, but I just kept reminding myself that, you know, through all the research I did, there like millions of people have done this before. There's no reason I'm going to be any different to any of the other millions of people that have survived on close enough to only potatoes. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm from the same same species so my body must know how to do this so I just got to give it some time and it, and it worked out <laughs> yeah it's definitely eye-opening like in terms of I think a lot of people have um I mean, food is very emotional for us a lot of people have an emotional relationship with food and we don't you know pay enough attention to the fact that a lot of people use food as comfort um so I I can only imagine I mean I'm curious how long until your cravings started to go away yeah, that took a lot of work, and yeah, it was all about that that um, idea of using food to to regulate my emotions, basically comfort eating, emotional eating. That was a real thing for me, and uh, and yeah, it took a lot of work. It wasn't like I guess in a way it was just eat potatoes and it'll work itself out, but it worked itself out because I I put in a lot of effort to trying to figure out ways to deal with the cravings that I was feeling all the time, and um, and yeah, I feel like probably, I don't know, 80% of what I wanted to achieve was really done in that first two weeks. Wow. Um, and and I, after two, like there was a point at about a week and a half where honestly just the thought of eating another potato made me gag. Like it was just, I was, uh, you know, people think, oh, you must really love, you must have really loved potatoes to decide to do this. And I was like, no, <laughs> I didn't really eat much potatoes. And as far as I knew up until that point, potatoes was a bad idea. They make you fat and they're just no good. And and I didn't eat much potato before that. And then, you know, I did this thing and, yeah, it was it was hard. And, and for a couple of days there, it was like, I just never want to see another potato again in my life. This is horrible. And um, and I, I got through that and, and I just kept eating them anyway. I just kept on telling myself that, you know, I've done the research. I know that this is physically okay as much as, I'm, you know, my mind is screaming at me to just stop and try something else I'm like that's not logic telling me that that's just the junkie in the back of my mind that you know wants a donut it's it's not rational thought Mm -hmm. so I just kept on reminding myself of that and um and yeah a couple of days of just feeling nauseous when I thought about potatoes and then it, it like I woke up one day and suddenly it was not a problem anymore and then really yeah from that two weeks on it was sort of I just got in a groove and it wasn't that hard anymore for the rest of the year. <laughs> oh, really? So, like, I mean, you basically throughout the whole year were just kind of coasting? Pretty much, yeah. I had my days where, you know, the odd mm-hmm. day here and there where where I'd rather not be doing it. But for the most part, it was just, yeah, it was, it was once I got through that first two weeks, I just learned so much about, my mindset and my um and yeah just the why the way why I eat the way I eat and why I think the way I think and and um and and better more healthy ways to deal with my emotions and um yeah I just I just learned so much in that first couple of weeks and um and yeah it was really yeah it was it was relatively easy for the rest of the year and yeah. um my original idea to do it for two months I I think yeah that was that was the right idea. Two months would have been enough. But by the time I got to there, it was like, well, the whole world knows I'm trying this for a year. So I've just, I've, I want to finish something that I said I was going to finish. And that was really all it was about from then on. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, you said it taught you a lot about 
healthier ways to deal with your emotions. So what, what did that mean for you? How did you start to deal with your emotions without using food? Yeah, well, you know, if, previously if I'd had a bad day at work, um, for example, then I might come home and, um, and tuck into a packet of chocolate chip cookies or something and, you know, eat 15 of them or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and when that option is taken off the table uh, and I go, right, I'm, I'm feeling bad, I need to eat something, and my only option is potatoes and they don't do any of the things I want them to do. There's no foodgasm, there's no you know, sugar high or whatever, there's just none of that, that good stuff that I wanted from food, then, um, yeah, you just sort of got no choice but to figure out something else to do. So um, it was really just, um, yeah, that's all it was. It was, oh, okay, I've, I've eaten a potato and that didn't help me at all. So what can I do now? And then I'll, I would just, yeah, just try different things. And it would could be like I could Google one of my things was I would Google bad jokes and then I would just find a really bad joke that, and I would just go and, go and tell my wife and see if I could make her laugh or at least make her think I was an idiot and laugh <laughs> at me even if, even if it wasn't with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was, you know, I did that sort of thing or I wrestled with my little boy or, um, you know, look up, you know, watch a stand-up comedian on Netflix or um, call a friend or read a book or listen to some good music or, and, and later on, I started exercising after a, a month or so. And then, you know, so exercise became something I turned to. And, yeah, so it wasn't oh, – meditation was a, became a thing for a little while there. And uh, I found a few um, really good poems that I like to read. I've got a couple of poems in my phone that, you know, every now and then I just, just open the notes on my phone and read a couple of poems and they, they help. And, yeah, so it wasn't really like there's this one single strategy that – um, helped me. It was just a, a whole bunch of things that, um, yeah, that would would help. And I've sort of got this saying now that I did, that I came up with in that first few weeks, and it's it's make your food boring and your life interesting. And yeah, the point behind that is that yeah, these dopamine hits that I've been talking about in your brain, we need dopamine hits in our lives. We need these you know flashes of um, of you know high high times and excitement and all of that. But too many of us you know, rely on food to get those things. You mm-hmm. get to get excitement in your life from food. And yeah, this my focus these days is that, yeah, we need these dopamine hits, but it doesn't have to come from food. There's a million ways you can get a dopamine hit. And um, for each of us, that's going to be different. You know, maybe, maybe you like knitting or crocheting, or maybe you like um, going for a bike ride or swimming or doing a backflip. I don't know. There's a million ways that you can get a dopamine hit and um and yeah food's only one of them so i mm-hmm. like to try to focus on yeah make my food boring and my life interesting yeah i mean i love that phrase but i'm curious do you think that it's a problem for everyone that like do you think that everybody should avoid getting pleasure from their food because i mean food is very cultural thing we celebrate with food like is that always an issue no no i, I definitely don't think that it's uh I think a lot of people would be better off that way, but no, definitely not. Uh, really, um, to me, that statement, make your food boring and your life interesting, is not, uh, I, don't, I don't mean it to be taken literally. For me, I, I, when I came up with it, it was meant to be taken literally because I was intentionally trying to make my food boring so that I had no choice but to get excitement, enjoyment, comfort from other areas of life. But these days, it's sort of got a new meaning for me, and really that just means 
Um, it doesn't mean you're not allowed to enjoy my food. I still sometimes, most of the time I eat pretty boring, but I still, every now and then I have a really delicious and enjoyable meal. Uh, really, it's just about where my focus is. I want to, I want to focus on, you know, if, if I, if all of my attention is towards trying to have delicious food and gourmet meals all the time, then I'm focusing on the wrong part of life. Mm-hmm. I need to, I need to focus on what's important in life. And yeah, food's important, not as important for me as it used to be. Um, in, in terms of, my, you know, enjoying life. But, um, yeah, my focus needs to be on more productive areas of life rather than just food. And um, there are plenty of people that are, that are in perfect health and can eat in moderation. Um, and, you know, for those people, I, I, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Just enjoy your food. Don't worry about anything I'm saying. If, you know, if you can maintain a... Uh, a state of good health and and um, good weight by just you know making traditional foods and and uh, and making food the focus of your life, then go for it. But there are plenty of people that are that are not that, and I'm one of them. And you know I'm I consider myself a food addict, and I and I think there are many. I I, I feel like it's. A problem that's not really acknowledged widely that you know the the overwhelming um advice from most sort of nutrition and diet experts seems to be centered around this idea of everything in moderation and so many people you know i don't think there's a an overweight person on planet earth who has not tried to do everything in moderation more than once and uh and for most people who are overweight, that idea just doesn't work. And if, if that's, if that's you, then I think, yeah, you need to, you need to at least consider the idea that maybe we're working with an addiction issue here rather than just a simple weight problem. We're going to take a brief pause from the show for a second, because I want to tell you guys about a brand that I love because I get asked so often what activewear I wear, because if you know me, you know that I basically live in workout clothes. This is the benefit of being a podcast host and having an online business is I can just wear workout clothes all the time. But the thing is that not all activewear is the same. Trust me when I tell you I've tried every brand. My friends joke that they've never seen me in anything except for leggings. This is true. But a brand I absolutely love is Sweaty Buddy because it's really important to me that the leggings are comfortable, they're functional, they look great. And of course, like I've mentioned before, the mission behind businesses is really important to me. And Sweaty Buddy has always been a brand that stands out to me in terms of their mission and integrity. Sweaty Buddy is a family-owned business. And it all started with their founder, Tamara Hill Norton, who really wanted to make a business run by strong, creative women to serve and empower the customers. They wanted to create clothes for women who live an active lifestyle and just help them feel powerful and beautiful. And that's what she set out to do because she found that a lot of the women's sportswear on the market was dark, not very comfortable, not functional, and didn't actually make women feel that great. I love that Sweaty Betty Activewear is made by women for women. It's top quality in the market. And with all of these different activewear brands out there, it can be confusing. But as someone who lives in activewear, I cannot be in something that is not super comfortable. And I just want to feel like it's my skin. I love that Sweaty Betty Activewear really caters to every single sport. 
So whatever your form of activity is, whether it's yoga, hit running, lifting weights. All of the clothes are designed to last a long time. They're really high quality, durable fabrics, and they will last you for years. Plus, every piece is tested by their in-house athletes across the Sweaty Buddy team, which I think is so cool because they're really making sure that the active wear performs, holds up, and everybody feels comfortable and great in it. They put it to the test. Their standout item, in my opinion, is their power leggings. These are addicting and I can just live in these. You'll probably want more than one pair, but they are their best selling leggings. They've won awards from self and women's health for a reason. They're super comfortable. They pass the squat test, don't worry. They'll actually help to get rid of some of that excess moisture. So if you're sweating, you know how some leggings, you can just kind of feel the sweat in the leggings. That does not happen with these at all. So you'll be comfortable even if you're in a tough workout. They sculpt, they support, they stretch, and they're meant for every sport. I absolutely love them. They also last a long time, like years. I could live in these leggings. They are so soft and they just, they feel like you're not wearing anything and so comfortable. I used to have certain leggings that would be good for some activities and like bad for others and I'd have to figure out which leggings would work for which occasion or what I was doing but with these I can wear them to anything for anything I just can hang out with them it's like wearing nothing and they also honestly I just feel like they make my legs look really good and make my butt look really good I always get compliments when I wear these so highly highly recommend I do not want to compromise comfort for function for longevity and that's why I love Sweaty Betty because they are just the highest quality out there. They're so comfy and I could live in them and you guys know I'm serious about my leggings. So if you want to check out Sweaty Betty's activewear, just go to sweatybetty.com slash podcast. That's S-W-E-A-T-Y-B-E-T-T-Y dot com slash podcast and use my code wellness for 20% off of your purchase of any full priced item. Again, my discount code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, will get you 20% off of any full price item at sweatybetty.com slash podcast. I know that a lot of you listening are just like me and you just live in activewear, so get your hands on some of the Sweaty Betty clothes because they're incredible. All right, now that I've filled you in on my current leggings obsession, let's hop back into this conversation with Andrew Taylor. I definitely agree. I think that there are Plenty of people where moderation works for them, but they're not the people who are overweight. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> if moderation yeah, if moderation had worked for me, then I wouldn't have been in the position I was in because I tried it a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, and I totally I totally relate to that. I'm someone who I'm not good at moderating. Like there it's like if I have certain foods, I'm like I'll never stop. Um so mm. you just can't I have to abstain, you know? Um Yeah. But it's interesting because I mean, I totally agree with you. I think food addiction is something that is not acknowledged enough and people don't talk about it enough and people don't like to use that phrase, I find. And I'm curious, do you differentiate between food addiction and like binge eating? Uh, Yes and no. I think they're similar issues, not exactly the same, but they're they're similar issues. Yeah, I, I I would think in both situations... Um, the, the best idea is, is to, yeah, just not ever touch the foods that are going to cause a binge. Like again, back to alcoholism, that's, this is all modeled on alcoholism. If, if someone's a a binge drinker, you know, we would never advise someone who has a a binge drinking problem to just try just drinking two beers. 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, no one would. Everyone in their right mind would think it's crazy to advise a binge drinker, and I just stop when you've had two. Like mm-hmm. that's not something a binge drinker can do, and it's not really, you know, okay, just try just having one slice of cake. Like that's not something a binge eater is really. You know, maybe you can do it once or twice, but it's not something you can consistently do if you've got a binge eating problem. So mm-hmm. I really think, yeah, the problem is a little bit different, but I think the solution is pretty, pretty similar that, you know, you've just, if, if you, there are certain foods that are, called, that are going to make you want to binge, then you're probably better off not having those foods anymore. Mm-hmm. So for you, when you're saying like that you had food addiction, um, why do you describe it as food addiction versus describe it as, as binge eating? Well, uh, yeah, it was, I could, I was binge eating as well. I could just as easily say I was binge eating, I guess. But the reason I describe it as food addiction is just because um, I was thinking about the way alcoholism works. And, you know, we've all, we've all uh, probably known someone or at least heard stories about someone who has struggled with alcoholism and, and they've, they've gone, okay, or cigarette smoking or heroin or whatever. It's all, it all seems to work the same way where they go, okay, uh, all right, I've quit alcohol and they do really good for a few weeks or, or even a few months or even a few years. And then something will come up where they'll go, okay, uh, it's my best friend's wedding. Uh, I'm going to go along and I'm going to just have one drink just to celebrate with my friend because, you know, that's what I should do. I'm a good friend. I've got to have a drink with my friend. And then I'll go back to being sober tomorrow. And, um, and then sure enough, you know, that very quickly turns into full-blown alcoholism again. Mm-hmm. And, and that was just mirrored my own behavior where I could go, like I said earlier, I could go for a month or two months even doing really, really well with my diet, really great. And then I would tell myself that, I'd, you know, I'll just have this one slice of pizza just this once as a reward. I deserve it. I've been good. I deserve, you know, a donut or whatever. And and it wouldn't be long until I was back to my old ways. And, mm-hmm. and I thought that's just, it's the same as alcoholism. It's just the behavior pattern is the same. So I've got to give it the same name. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's, that just made logical sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. And like you mentioned before, it's just a little trickier to figure out how to solve that because you can't just quit food, you know, like you need food to survive. Yeah. But if you are addicted to drugs or alcohol or, even if it's just like sugar, like sugar addiction, you could quit sugar, you know, um, but food in general, you can't. Um, I, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I wanted it to be like, you know, I've, I know there are, there's this big quitting sugar thing and you can quit like whatever, but, but to me it was, yeah, I could have just quit sugar or I could have just quit all kinds of junk food and processed oils and whatever. I could have tried that. But the, the reason I wanted to get as close as possible to quitting food entirely was because if you think about the the decision making process of an alcoholic mm-hmm. they've got a simple choice each day am i going to drink alcohol or am i not mm-hmm. and hopefully they choose the not side and that's it it's simple there's nothing else to do if you quit sugar you go okay am i going to have sugar today no okay then what am i going to have there's like a million more choices about what i'm going to have for breakfast what i'm going to have for lunch you know, what combination of ingredients in every meal, how am I going to cook it, you know, how much am I going to cook and save or should I freeze it, you know, there's just shopping takes a long time, whatever. I wanted to just eliminate food decisions as much Mm -hmm. as possible so I could get as close as possible to that just binary yes, no decision that an alcoholic has. So that's why I wanted to pare it back 
just to the bare minimum and make it that way. So I can't, I couldn't obviously get as as close to just that yes no thing, but it was okay. Am I hungry? Yes. Eat potatoes. There's no other choice to make. There's no decision mm-hmm. tree that branches off into a million things that can you know swamp your mind with confusion and and um, all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah, that was I was trying to get as close to the alcoholic model as I could. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And I I work with a lot of women who have eating disorders, and with all of them, yeah. I'm like the issue is that you're thinking about too you're thinking about food too much, like all the time. That's yeah. what you're thinking about. You have to stop thinking about it. Um, and because it's something that doesn't go away, that's why it gets so difficult for them, you know, because they're like, well, I have to pick, I have to eat, like I have to pick what I'm eating. And I'm like, you're just spending too much time. And I think a lot of people spend too much time deciding what to eat and how much and, and all of that, which leads me into, I mean, let's talk specifics about what, I mean, we know you're eating potatoes. Okay. But I guess what were the guidelines beyond that? Like, were you allowed to use any seasoning? Could it be any type of potato? How many potatoes did you usually eat in a day? Like, tell me the details. Yeah, okay. So, like I said, my original idea was to do it for a couple of months. And when I was going to do that, it was going to be strictly potatoes, nothing else. That's it. And, um, and that's what I was going to do. But when I decided on a year, like I already thought that two months was going to be too much for me. I didn't think I'd be able to do that. But I wanted to give it a try. And then when I decided on a year, I was like, yeah, that's just a whole new level. And, um, and I, I'm not even going to attempt to do that with just purely potatoes. So um, I came up with uh, – basically, I've got three rules. The first rule was um, get medical supervision because I wanted to just be on top of things, make sure that everything was working, my health was good and all that. So I got blood tests and medical checkups throughout the year. Second rule – was eat as much as I feel like whenever I feel like it. So I didn't have like a target of a number of potatoes or a number of calories or whatever. It was just to, and and I didn't even, it wasn't even just to eat only when I'm hungry or anything. It was just if I felt like eating, I could eat and I could eat as much as I wanted to eat. And and I figured that, you know, my body would just figure things out if I just did that. If, you know, if I ate too much in one go, then my body would wait a little bit more until I got hungry the next time and Whatever. I, I just wanted to reduce thought as much as possible. So yeah, that was the second bit, and um, and it ended up, it, especially in the beginning, it fluctuated. Some days I didn't eat much at all, and some days I ate heaps. And after a couple of weeks, it really leveled out, and I tended to eat around about the same every day, which te- which worked out to be. Um, I didn't track anything day to day, but at the end of the week, I knew how many kilos of potatoes I've bought. So it was it was around three and a half kilos a day, which I think is is around like eight to nine pounds mm-hmm. of potatoes a day that I was eating, and um, and then yeah, rule number three was that I could have some dried herbs and spices, and and very very minimal use of like um, tomato sauce or ketchup, um, barbecue sauce that sort of thing. And by minimal, I'm talking about like. For a large potato, I might have one teaspoon of sauce, just enough to give it some flavor. Not enough. I'm not covering my potatoes in sauce. I'm just, you know, most of what I ate was still just plain potatoes. But every now and then I was like, I just want a little bit of flavor. So I put a tiny bit of sauce on or a tiny bit of dried herbs and spices or a bit of salt or something. And, Mm And if I wanted to make mashed potatoes, I could use a little bit of soy milk for that or, you know, some other kind of plant based milk. Yeah. Okay. So, 
what types of potatoes, like, can you eat any type of potato or is it just a basic, basic potato? Can you do sweet potatoes? Like, yeah, yeah. Any kind of potatoes is fine. Um, sweet potatoes. Yeah. That all, all good. Any sweet potatoes are not technically a potato. They're from a different species. Oh, really? but yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know why they call them sweet potatoes because they're not actually a potato. They're, they're two different species, but whatever, for the purposes of this, I just, nutritionally they're a little bit different but um but they're they're pretty comparable from a nutritional point of view so and they're called potatoes so that was enough for me i just decided to include them just so again when i was when the idea was just for two months it was going to be only strictly white potatoes but um when i changed to a year i thought okay i'll include sweet potatoes as well just to help me a little bit and um but yeah no no restrictions on kind of potatoes the main thing that made me decide what potatoes to eat every week was just whatever was cheapest. That was it. <laughs> and did you, how did you usually cook them? Like, did you switch up the way you cook them or were you usually doing one type of cooking method? Yeah, it was basically, it was, um, baked or boiled or mashed potatoes and I'll just make a huge batch and just eat it till it was gone and then make another one. And, um, and yeah, that was it. Every now and then I would maybe like once a fortnight, Oh, you don't know fortnights, do you? Don't say that's two weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've said fortnight a few times to Americans, and they go fortnight. What's that? isn't that a game? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually know that. I mean, if you read Shakespeare, you yeah. should know that. So. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, true, yeah. But <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So every maybe every two weeks, I would experiment a little bit and make like a potato waffle or a hash brown or something like that. But pretty much all of what I ate was either mashed or boiled or baked potatoes and um, yeah, just rotate through those. Okay. So this is really interesting socially, I would imagine. Like how did you navigate that in social situations and with family and friends? What was that like? Yeah. Well, in the beginning, I basically just avoided contact with family and friends because I didn't want to be the freak. And um, (laughs) so that was like, but it, it was only like a week and a half until we ended up eating with someone else and um and you know Australians are especially Australian men are very good at making fun of each other (laughs) and um you know a bit of uh a bit of banter and uh yeah and I I sort of expected that but I just decided that um you know throughout my life I had really not told anyone about my mental health issues I've not told anyone about my issues with food I just kept all that to myself and you know try to be the big, strong, sort of bulletproof, manly man all the time, and uh, which I think men men are not very good at, like sharing emotion and that sort of thing in general. Obviously, some men are, but I wasn't, and there's probably still something I've got to work on. But yeah, I just decided that throughout my life I had just kept those parts of myself hidden from everyone I knew, and I just I decided. Yeah, I've got to just do the opposite. This has not worked for me. Living that way has not worked for me. So that was another thing that I decided I needed to change. So, um, yeah, my strategy was basically that I would, I would, if I was going to someone's house, then I would take potatoes with me, and then they would make fun of me, and then I would say, "All right, here it is," and I'd just lay it out on the table. I'm clinically depressed. I'm anxious. I feel like a lot of that is because of food and my state of health and my state of my weight. And I would talk to them about, you know, the role that food has played in my life and, and how, uh, you know, it's affected the way, who I am as a person. And, and, um, and you know, when I, when I poured my heart out to my 
friends and family, they didn't want to make fun of me anymore. That was mm. like, you know, they were on my side and they just wanted to help me. So I really think I work with lots of people on this now and that's, it's all about emotion. It's all about not understanding how to deal with our own emotion and, um, and yeah, it's a really big part of it that, yeah, we worry about what our friends and family are going to think. But when you open up, pour your heart out, tell people about how food has affected your life and how it's, um, you know, how you, you're trying to change the, the relationship that you have. And, you know, you, if people love you, they're going to support you. They're going to, they don't, you know, they'll, of course they'll make fun of you if you don't, if they don't understand it. But once they understand it, yeah, they, people want to support you. And if they don't want to support you, then maybe you need to rethink the relationship you have with that person. So, you know, it could be a good filter in that way as well. You could, you could uh, figure out who you want in your life and who you don't. So either way, it's a, I think it's a positive. So mm -hmm. that was, that was that sort of emotional side of things. But then you, I'm, I'm sure you want to know about logistics as well. So yeah. yeah, if I went to a friend's place, I would just bring potatoes with me it's pretty easy to put some potatoes in the oven. It doesn't take any work at all. So people are not going to complain about having to provide a different meal for you because you're special. It's like, how hard is it? Just put some potatoes in the oven and you're done. Mm -hmm. or, the, or the microwave. You can microwave a potato for five minutes. It's done. Don't worry about it. Um, for going out to restaurants, pretty much every restaurant has potatoes on the menu somewhere. And that means that they've got potatoes in their kitchen. And that means that if you just ring them ahead of time and say, hey, I'd like to just eat potatoes. Can you help me out? Then, and I'm happy to pay. I always said I'll pay a full price main meal if you can just give me a big plate of potatoes. And they're like, "Cool, that's that's easy money," you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's I would pretty just do sweet. That and, yeah, and you know, it's they're getting potatoes are cheap, so they're they're getting a, a good profit margin, and I'm I can sit with my friends and eat food, and yeah, it's all good. I only had one restaurant for the whole year that didn't have potatoes and you know, I just took some potatoes with me and I, I, ate them, I ate them in the car before I went in and then I just sat and had a drink while my friends ate and, uh, and halfway through I just excused myself and went out to the car and ate a potato and then came back in again and mm -hmm. yeah, it was all good, no worries. I'm curious if anyone in your life expressed that it was uncomfortable for them, like that you, know, you weren't going out to eat and enjoying these foods anymore, did they feel uncomfortable? eating different foods while you're eating potatoes? Because I know sometimes people who yeah. um, change their diet deal with that with different people in their lives, saying that it's uncomfortable for them. Uh, I'm sure there were people that, it, that felt that way, but no, nobody expressed it to me mm -hmm. directly. Um, a lot of people, yeah, told me they thought it was weird or silly or whatever, but no, yeah, uh, there must have been people that were uncomfortable for it, but no, not that anyone said to me. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe, maybe because I was very open about my reasons behind it, maybe they just, maybe they, if I wasn't so open, they would have told me, but they were trying to be more supportive and, and they knew that if they told me it was making them uncomfortable, that it, that wasn't a supportive thing to do. So, mm -hmm. um, perhaps that affected, you know, the way people would communicate because I have, I have done diets before where people have expressed that it has made them uncomfortable and they wished I would just eat a pizza with them or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I'm sure people did feel that way, but they didn't tell me, and I guess it was because I was, I was very open about the whole experience and how it was affecting me emotionally. So, yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like you were still able to kind of, like, join in on everything. Like, you knew what to do when you went out to restaurants and go to people's houses versus 
I think with certain, sometimes people just like stop inviting friends, you know, because like, well, they can't eat here anyways, but it sounds like you knew what to do. So it didn't really stop you from socializing. Yeah, yeah, it was, I didn't, in the beginning, I didn't really know what to do, but I just, I just figured it out as I went, I suppose. And, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I joined in on everything. I didn't really miss out on anything. And, um, well, not that I know of. Maybe there was people that were going to have dinner behind my back. I don't know. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't feel like I missed out on anything. And on the contrary, I made a lot of new friends during that year um, because because I was people were reaching out to me that were um, having a similar life experience to me and and wanting to you know learn from me and um, and yeah, I made some amazing new friends during that year. And not not even just from people that wanted to learn from me, just people that people that are, you know, like, um, good health and like eating potatoes or like, you know, <laughs> I got into, I got into a bit more exercise. So I made, um, I made some friends through exercising with them and, um, you know, I made, I made some great friends through the people decided they wanted to interview me for a podcast, for example, and I'm still friends with some people who live close by that I decided to you know, do podcasts with, or I got invited to nutrition conferences and met some great people that way. And, um, yeah, yeah. So really you would think it would be a socially isolating thing, but it was absolutely the opposite for me. I, I, I made, I connected with new people in new ways that I never thought would be possible. And, uh, and yeah, I think if, if we, if we stay open to, you know, the possibility that this, uh, doing a, changing our diet for whatever change it is, it's going to be on, uh, rather than focusing on, um, you know, I, I, it's so so disappointing or whatever that I can never have cake again. You know, there's so much, so much that that could go right for you, and, mm-hmm. and we we tend to focus on what you're going to be missing out on rather than what what you're going to be getting out of out of the mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it was an amazing year. That's awesome. And let's so let's talk about what your results were exactly. So I know you said after a yep. few weeks you felt like um, you had mostly broken that food addiction and the cravings went away. But what other results did you see at what point? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the biggest and most in, unexpected one for me was the, the way my depression changed um, because I didn't I didn't I, I didn't expect this to do anything at all for my depression. I just thought oh, that was something I was stuck with. And, um, and yeah, within a couple of weeks, I, I noticed, I remember noticing probably at about the two week, two week mark that I was suddenly one day I was like, Oh, hang on. I think it's been like a couple of days since I've had a bad day. And that was strange. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go two days in a row. You know, you'd have good, most of my days were bad days and every now and then you'd have a good day, mm-hmm. but if I would only have one good day and then it would be back to bad days again. But suddenly I went, hang on, I've had two day, two good days in a row. This is weird. And then I remember a few weeks after that going, I think I've had like a pretty good week. What's going on here? And, um, and then, yeah, pretty much from then on, most of my days are good days. You know, I wouldn't say, I'm not going to sit here and say like my life's a dream and every day is great and whatever, because that's just not reality for anyone. I think but everyone has bad days, but you know, I think I just have a normal amount of bad days now. I'm not you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not clinically depressed anymore. So that was, that was the biggest thing. That was by a long way, the biggest thing. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, my, I don't deal with food addiction anymore. Uh, well, I shouldn't say I don't deal with food addiction. I, I do, um, still avoid all of the foods that 
um, that are, you know, high calorically dense that trigger all those things that we talked about. But it's not something I have to spend every waking moment concentrating on and whatever. It's just, it's in the, you know, it's a, it's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the one that everyone seems most interested in is weight loss. And I, I ended up by the end of the year, I lost 52 kilos. And was it 50? Yeah. Or maybe it was 53 kilos. And I was around 120 pounds, um, in a year. Uh, my, my blood pressure went way down. My cholesterol went way down. Um, there's a, a Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn who's responsible for um, uh, uh, using diet in a clinical trial to reverse heart disease, the only diet that's ever been clinically um, scientifically shown to reverse heart disease. And he says if your cholesterol is under 150 without drugs, then you're basically heart attack proof. And yeah, my, my cholesterol went from high 200s down to below, I think it was 130 within a couple of months. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, my, my blood sugars went way down. Um, yeah, basically everything that my doctor could measure was just getting better and better throughout the mm-hmm. year. So, uh, what, yeah, I'm cool. curious what you think like the mechanism behind that was. Do you think it was the fact that you're eating potatoes specifically or that you had cut out a lot of the junk food or that like, you know, you were eating less calories. Like, why do you think that worked in terms of your weight loss and improving your metabolic health markers? Yeah, well, potatoes are great. Um, They provide much, uh, you know, all the nutrition that we need, um, and I got everything I needed from them. But I think what's more important than what you do eat, well, what you do eat is important and from the point of view that there are nutrients that you need and you've got to make sure that you're getting everything you need. I had that covered with potatoes. And then once you've got all the nutrients you need, then the most important thing is what you don't eat, really. And so I was not eating any um, processed foods at all, no no oils, no sugars, um, no flours, you know, just just whole foods. And I still do that. And, uh, and I was not eating any animal products either, no dairy, no eggs. Um, so I was just and I still maintain that as well. It's, um, yeah, basically I just was, I was eating only healthy foods and nothing that was, uh, potentially, uh, you know, triggering for, for different diseases. I was having, I was not Mm -hmm. taking in any cholesterol. Cholesterol only comes in animal food. So I was not taking in any cholesterol. And so obviously if you're not taking in any cholesterol, then your cholesterol is going to drop. Um, yeah, I was, I was, uh, yeah, that's that's the main thing for me. I, th- I really think that once your nutritional bases are covered, then what's more important is what you're not eating because, you know, if you're not taking in anything that's going to be, uh, you know, injuring you in any way, then all you've got left is good things to happen. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, so let's talk about you, you went the full year and then I'm curious more about the introduction phase and like more about how you settled and how you eat now. Like, yeah. Like, how did you decide what to add back in? Um, tell me more about that. Yeah, well, basically it was all about, um, yeah, once you once you get above, like, uh, I think the research that I read was a, a 400 calories per pound, right? That, that's a, once you start getting over 400 calories per pound in your food, that's when it starts triggering um, you know, the dopamine response in your brain. And that's when your brain starts going, oh, that's a high calorie food. We need more of that. Go and find that because that's going to help us fatten up for when the drought comes. Um, so, so that's basically what made my decision. I decided to only eat things that are less than 400 calories per pound. 
So that's, it turns out that that's basically unprocessed plant foods. So I eat um, beans, grains, fruits and vegetables. I really, every now and then, but only very occasionally, I'll eat some nuts and seeds because those are above um, above the 400 calorie a pound thing. And mm-hmm. basically, I only eat them if sometimes I go to a restaurant and and I haven't called ahead, <laughs> and and they've you know something will come up that's that's got a little bit of nuts and seeds in it. But I never I never have those things at home or whatever. That just comes up every now and then. So basically, yeah, that that was my decision making process is just to um, eat only below that 400 calorie per pound um, level, and that's that avoids the using food to trigger the dopamine response in the brain. Um, as far as uh, reintroducing food. Uh, I it was it was a weird situation because I was followed by the news uh, like the media through the year and I ended up having on um, when I I on the 1st of January I that was when I was for breakfast I was going to be eating something that wasn't potatoes and ended up being broadcast live on TV. Oh my god. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so so it was like there was a fully catered event and the caterer was like, "Oh, what do you want to eat?" and I, by that point of the year I was like, "I just I just don't care. There's not like mm-hmm. as long as it's below this 400 calorie a pound thing, I just don't really care. There's nothing I didn't there was nothing I wanted. So I just let the caterer decide and they they made me um a breakfast burrito and uh and a fruit salad. And um it was incredible. <laughs> it was like Flavors were ridiculous, and I can specifically remember I had uh, some grapes. The the last thing I ate at the breakfast was grapes, Mm -hmm. and they were amazing, and I could still taste them in my mouth, like really strongly. I could taste them in my mouth an hour later, Um, and that was like really amazing the way my taste buds uh, had had adjusted. Um, And then, yeah, from then, so I had a, a lot, a variety of food on that breakfast, you know, for TV, um, and then after that, I just went back to eating pretty simply. And most of, I call what I eat these days a whole food potato-based diet. You know, it's technically it's whole food plant-based, um, but I like to, you know, I still emphasize potatoes. Um, but yeah, and no, I'll have potatoes with some greens and some beans or something. That's a typical meal. Maybe I'll have a, um, you know, a bean chili with uh, potatoes and broccoli or something like that mm-hmm. or um you know i eat fruit i'll have bananas or i'm really i'm enjoying watermelon at the moment and grapes are pretty cheap at the moment so i eat them um basically yeah i, I eat fruit based on what's cheap because if it's cheap that generally means it's in season and um and you know healthiest that way if you can get it fresh and in season that's what i go for mm-hmm. and um and if you're not sure about what's in season just go for what's cheapest because that's a good um that's a good indicator yeah um but yeah that's that's um pretty much it i just i still eat a lot of potatoes and i include um fruits and veggies and grains and beans um in that as well yeah um, so just to be clear, so during that year that you were eating only potatoes, did you have a single cheat meal? Not one, which I'm very, very proud of. I didn't even have, I, I didn't even lick the knife when I cut my boy's birthday cake. Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was, no, I'm very, very proud of that because I've, you know, even in the, yeah, like I said earlier, I've not been able to go more than a month without having a, a cheat meal and, and I still haven't had a cheat meal actually to put it. You know, to be honest, it's mm-hmm. like it's over three years now since I've I've the the worst thing I've done in three years is last year I did have one mouthful of my boy's birthday cake, and that's 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 the worst thing I've done in three years. So 
Um, not that I, I, I don't like describing it as bad to do that. I don't think it's bad, but um, it's not. Yeah, so that's a poor choice of words, saying mm-hmm. it's the worst thing I've done. But because uh, I don't think we should think of it that way, you know, it doesn't make you a bad person if you eat cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's but it's something I don't want to do. So yeah, I need to come up with a better word than that. But I don't want anyone listening to yeah. that I, I think you're bad if you eat cake or whatever. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally understand. I'm actually curious, um, how did like someone initially find out that, that you were doing this? Like how did the media get a hold of the fact that you were doing this challenge? <laughs> yeah, that was a, a funny story actually. Um, so the, that all came about because, uh, my, when I started, my wife said I should, she thought it would be a good idea for me to keep a journal so that at the end of the year I could go back and read about what I'd done. And, I've, and I've, my response to that was, well, I've had journals before and, um, and I've, I've never been good at maintaining it. So I thought, you know, it was already enough pressure to be doing this potato thing to then journal on top of it was too much. I just didn't think I'd be able to do it. So then she suggested, okay, at the end of each day, why don't you get your phone out and just talk to your phone, make a video, and then that'll be easier than journaling. And I was like, yeah, okay, I could do that. That'd be easy, but I'm going to run out of storage pretty soon. And she said, oh, we'll just put it on YouTube and then YouTube can store it for you and, and um, you won't have to worry about that. And I, I was like, yeah, I don't really want anyone to watch what I'm doing on YouTube though. And she said, oh, nobody's going to see it. It doesn't matter. And initially she was right. So it was um, through all of January, I had like 50 total views for all of my January videos. There was like hardly anybody watching it. A couple of people had somehow discovered it, but it was doing nothing. And, and I was happy with that. And then I went to dinner with a friend at a friend's place and we had that deep and meaningful conversation that I talked about and, you know, I told him all about my problems and he made potatoes for me and, um, and we had a good night. And then at the end of the night, I didn't find this out until months later, by the way, and he told me this at like around August, but uh, this is the beginning of February and I didn't find out how it happened until August. Um, but basically we went home and then he was reading um, Australia's biggest news website or one of Australia's biggest news websites. And there was a little thing on the side that said, um, do you have a story for us? Click here. And so he clicked there and all he did was copy and paste a link to my YouTube channel and he just pressed send and that's it. And then the next day a journalist contacted me and I did an interview and, um, and that was a Sunday afternoon, 1st of February. And I was like, this is weird. I didn't think, but it, anyway, I did an interview with this journalist and, I, and it went online that night on one of Australia's biggest news websites. And I was still like in denial a bit. And I was like, it was on Australia's, one of Australia's biggest news websites. And I saw it there and I thought, yeah, that's pretty funny. I didn't think much of it though. And then I just went to bed and then I woke up in the morning and I had like 400 emails from all around the world from, you know, different news uh outlets and websites and blogs and radio stations, TV stations. And, um, yeah, it just went bonkers from there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. That's a good story yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> good thing you then, started yeah. at YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it was funny, like a few months later in August, one day my friend just sent me a text message and said, it was me. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, what was you? And he goes, it the whole thing I was like, oh my god what do you mean what are you talking about and then he told me that story and i was like oh wow because I, I i never i never thought to ask the reporter how he found out about me so mm-hmm. that's <laughs> yeah. amazing um yeah, yeah. So, something I'm, i've been wondering is 
I mean, this reminds me a lot of kind of recently in the media, the carnivore diet has gotten popular. I'm sure you've mm. seen everyone's just eating, just eating meat and no vegetables. And um, yeah. a lot of them kind of describe the same reasons that you're describing for just eating potatoes. I'm curious what you think about the carnivore diet. Well, first of all, I've never done it, so mm -hmm. I don't really – a lot of people have opinions on the potato – on my potato thing who have never done it, and that annoys me. So mm -hmm. I don't I don't really think it's my place to comment on the carnivore diet um, since I've not done it myself and I have no intention of doing it. Mm -hmm. um, what, I, what I can say is that it's not um, – eating only meat is not something that I would have considered because um, – yeah, just the, there's nutritional bases that are not covered, mostly fiber. Um, fiber is a very, um, you know, every time we study fiber, it, it shows, you know, the studies show across the board, across the length and breadth of science that um, people who eat more fiber have better long-term health outcomes. Um, so that's, that's the first red flag for me. Um, and there are other things like, you know, people say that organ meats are okay for vitamin C and whatever, but, um, yeah, uh, look, there are people that seem to be doing well in the carnivore diet, so I'm not going to say that it's a bad idea because clearly there are people that are doing well, but, um, you know, theoretically, at least, uh, it seems like it's maybe not the best idea, um, and, <coughs> sorry, and, um, yeah, it's, there's, there's, I haven't. I'm yet to see any solid science that that uh, that backs up. There's a lot of anecdotal stories from people that talk about good experiences they've had, and that's great. But I, you know, my decision was evidence based, and I and I just don't see the evidence to back up the you know the the clinical uh, peer published peer reviewed science to back up the idea of the carnivore diet. So that's that's my reasons why I wouldn't have chosen to do that myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, like I'm, I'm really, I haven't done it, so I can't really, I'm not someone who should be talking about whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, I guess. Yeah. Do you think you would have gotten the same results had you picked, like instead of potatoes, had you picked a different vegetable, like another food? Do you think uh, you would have gotten similar results? Well, in theory, uh, like bananas should have been mm. just as good or mangoes. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things that in theory could have, could have worked. And, um, yeah, I don't see, I don't see why it wouldn't have. Um, but, but yeah, I just, I just wanted to choose the thing that had the most, um, evidence behind it. And that was the potatoes. So, mm -hmm. That's why I did it. And, and also, um, when I was considering bananas, for example, it was like, okay, how can I eat a banana? I can peel it and eat it, or maybe I can smoothie it, and that's all I could think of. And at least with potatoes, there's a little bit of variety in the way that you can, you know, even if it's only, mm -hmm. say, five different ways to eat them, at least there's more options than just peel it and eat it. So um, that, was another, that was another reason. But, yeah, the main was just uh, the evidence. But yeah, I think if I had have eaten only bananas for a year, then from a, from a psychological and, and um, physical health point of view, I think it probably would have been a similar result. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So you since um, have written a few books, right? You've created the, your challenge with people. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a couple of books. So the first one was just 
basically, I was just getting thousands of emails from people from all around the world that wanted to wanted help. And I, my wife is just always full of good ideas. And I just said to her one day, um, you know, I just I just keep answering the same email over and over and over again. And it wasn't a complaint; it was just a an observation that everyone who writes to me has the same questions and I'm answering the same questions every day. And, um, and I was glad to be doing that because I wanted to be helping people, but I want also wanted to try to find a way that I didn't have to write, type the same thing over and over again. So she said, well, why don't you write a book and, uh, and just put, just answer all the questions in a book. So I just did that. And, um, yeah, so it's called uh, the DIY Spud Fit Challenge and it was basically everything you need to know if you want to do your own Spud Fit Challenge and um and i released that you know i think in a, in maybe september of that year and all it did was increase the number of emails i got <laughs> so, so so um yeah so that's the first book that's a short book it's available on amazon um and then i wrote another book uh cuz i got a lot of emails about what i'm eating since that potato um year is over what do i eat now so i decided to make another book about that and um and I'm not much of a cook, so I decided to uh, to invite a whole bunch of people to contribute one recipe each. So there are over 100 recipes from 100 different people in in this book about you know the way that they like to eat potatoes and mm-hmm. um, yeah a whole lot of different cool recipes. So that's yeah that's um, yeah a fun book as well and something I'm really proud of too. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty impressive. 100 potato recipes. That's yeah, yeah. That just to be clear, that's not strictly potatoes. That's potatoes with other stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I was so, gonna say that's yeah. Impressive. So I've got one book that's yeah. First book's only potatoes, and that's only got 13 recipes in it. Mm-hmm. It was like that was a stretch, <laughs> but um, but yeah, when you include other foods that follow the like I was talking about before, whole food potato based diet, then. Um, yeah, there, there's lots of recipes that you can do. It's endless. <laughs> um, I am curious. So, okay. So when you're like outlining the whole challenge for other people, basically they're following the same guidelines that you followed, right? Yeah. Those three rules we mm-hmm. talked about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Same, same guidelines and usually not for a year though. There are a few people that have done it for a year, but I usually recommend about a month is what I recommend. And there's a good good place to start if, uh, if people want to really um, change the way that they think about and relate to food. Uh, I think a month is a good amount of time to do and then work on um, adding in some other healthy foods after that and not going back to the way you're eating before. <laughs> yeah. Um, just to clarify, so in terms of salt, do you allow liberal use of salt or is there like limits on salt? Uh, as long as you're not using salt during cooking, if you add salt on after, then mm-hmm. that yeah, yeah. If so, if you if you're cooking and you're putting salt in during the cooking, then the salt really it sort of gets hidden in the food. Mm. If you know what I mean, it, it gets the, and you don't really notice the salt as much. But if you do your cooking, put it on your plate and then sprinkle some salt on top, then the salt becomes the first thing to hit your taste buds, and then you don't need as much of it. And really, if you're eating salt that way, then um, you're really not going to be eating a lot of salt. That's um, so. I think yeah, as long as you do it that way, then salt's okay. But uh, if you definitely don't use it during cooking, just add it after. Yeah. Okay. So I have a question, and I'm I'm I think I know what you're going to say, but I have a friend yeah. who's like a huge fan of the potato diet, and she's like, you have yeah. to ask him this. She wants yeah. to know if if she does a potato diet, is she allowed to have? vodka that's made from potatoes <laughs> <laughs> well yeah for my yeah I, I 
<laughs> vodka's vodka's good fun. Let's be honest. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, during my year, I actually didn't stop drinking alcohol. I, I had a couple of beers. Um, not I wasn't like you know drinking heaps, but uh-huh. you know, once or twice a week, I'd have a couple of beers. And um, and yeah, that was again. That was just uh, I, I figured that this potato challenge was going to be hard enough without also quitting alcohol. Like mm-hmm. I just wanted to make it simple and, and alcohol wasn't like a huge problem for me. It was food was the problem. So I really wanted all of my focus to be on food okay. and, uh, and, and make nothing else in my life was, you know, I could deal with alcohol later. And I actually, uh, it's been a month now, I think since I've had a, any alcohol. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. And that, like it wasn't alcohol wasn't a huge problem for me, but I'm like, okay, I'm it's been a couple of years now. I'm doing pretty well with my diet. What's the next step? It's obviously alcohol. Let's let's do that. So um but yeah, so to answer your your friend, if she feels like uh, alcohol is not healthy, let me be clear on that. It's not a good idea. It's not good for your health. Um but you know, Maybe yeah, it's up to you to decide if you want to if you want to have any kind of alcohol. I don't think it's um, the worst thing you can do as long as you're not you know binge drinking and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. But if you just want to have a have a quiet vodka or two, then uh, yeah, I'll leave that up to up to you. <laughs> okay, so there are no really like rules around drinks then, like teas or anything else. Can people have like fruity teas? Like it's just food? Uh, yeah, tea. Uh, I ne- I didn't drink any because I've I've just never liked any hot drinks at all. Really, mm. I've never liked coffee. I've never liked tea. I've never even liked hot chocolate. I just don't like hot drinks. So mm. I didn't personally have any of them. But I don't. No, there's no problem with teas and coffees. The only thing I'd say is just don't have dairy. So if you like coffee with milk, then find a plant-based milk that you like. Um, or same with tea because dairy dairy is. Um, there's a there's a substance in dairy called casomorphins, and that's from the morphine family. And the reason that that's in in milk in um, animal based milk is because you know a calf comes to drink the milk from from mum, mm-hmm. and nature wants the calf to get addicted to that milk, so it'll mm-hmm. keep coming back for more, and it'll grow up and get nice and big, nice and quickly. Um, so yeah, like I said, I, I was trying to avoid addictive foods and. Um, yeah, so I think it's best to avoid dairy because it, it is designed by nature specifically to be addictive. So mm-hmm. yeah, let's avoid addictive things. Yeah. Especially okay. cheese, because when you get to cheese, that's basically, it's highly concentrated milk. So everything that's in milk is extra concentrated in cheese, including those casomorphins that I talked about. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, you often hear people going, oh, I could give up. I could give up everything except cheese. Don't take mm-hmm. away my cheese, and, and that's why. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people don't realize that they're actually that they're actually addicted to it. Like they think it's just because they like it. I'm like, no. I mean, there are addictive properties in it. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, okay. This has been so interesting. I think it, you have such a cool story, and it's so inspiring to a lot of other people. I know you've like helped so many people overcome their food addiction. Um, maybe we could just wrap up. Can you just tell everyone where they can find more information from you and find more about the challenge and your books? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's um most unexpected thing about the whole experience for me is how like I when I started I thought I was the only food addict in the world. I felt mm-hmm. like I was on my own. But um to this be then uh become something where I've been able to help so many other people is um yeah, I get a real buzz out of that and it's pretty cool to read uh emails 
every day from people that have uh, changed their lives by with with my help. So yeah, that's really cool. And uh, if if anyone wants to know more, then um, the best place to contact me is through my website spudfit.com. S p u d f i t spudfit. Um, but you can also yeah, all the social medias. I'm just spudfit on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Just just look up spudfit and you'll find me. Or just Google potato guy and I'll be the first result. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's a good one. All right, thank you again so much, Andrew. It was so much fun chatting with you. No, thank you as well. Uh, it's been it's been a good time, and uh, and keep doing your thing as well. I've uh, I've I enjoyed your podcast as well. I've listened to a couple of episodes now, so uh, yeah, keep it up. I, I like your work. Thank you so much to Andrew for coming on the show and sharing more about his journey. If you want more from him, go to spudfit.com. You can find him on Instagram at spudfit, and also let him know if you enjoyed the show. I'm sure he would love to hear from you. If you enjoy the podcast, please make sure to leave a rating interview on iTunes. It really helps me spread the word about the show. And I also always love it when you guys share on social media your favorite episodes. So please do that. And if you're not already, please join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe, where you can connect with other listeners. That's going to be all I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this. Can't wait to hear your feedback. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. And I will chat with you again soon. Bye.